welcome to the Behavioral Groups Podcast. My name is Tim Houlihan. And I'm Kurt Nelson. We interview interesting people in order to unlock insights into behavioral science and how we can apply those insights to work and to life. In this episode, we talked to Silky Britton, who is the managing director of Clearvoice Agency. Uh, based in in the UK. And we got to talk about communications at a very deep level. We talked about influences in organization and influencers in organizations. And how influence mapping can really lead to some great insights about who those influencers are, as well as talking about how communications are used to drive behavior change and what Silky and Clear Voice do uh, with that with some great case studies. I think one of the most important things that came out of it, Kurt, was one of your your new catchphrases. Which was? 3% of the people are influencing 85% of the organizational change. Yes, that is. It was wonderful. So uh, listen up to this wonderful interview with Silky, and we hope you enjoy. Silky Britton, welcome to Behavioral Grooves Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much for welcoming me on your podcast. And uh, it's a, an absolute pleasure to, to be talking to the two of you to, to talk about behavioral science. Well, uh, we are looking forward to it as well. So uh, before we get started uh, with sort of our, our, uh, some, of the, some of the questions that we have planned, we'd like to do a quick speed round. So we're just gonna we're just gonna throw some things your way and uh, and just respond if you would, okay? Okay. All right. So are you a Monet or Van Gogh lover? Oh, uh, Monet. Okay. And if uh, choice between a unicycle and a bicycle? Ooh, unicycle. Oh, <laughs> Not that I've ever tried one, but I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> Dog or cat? Definitely dog. Definitely dog. All right. And nature versus nurture? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, I like to sit on the fence on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Both are absolutely essential. But I guess with my, uh, um, yeah, being a mum, I would would probably tend to go for nurture. (laughs) Okay. Ah, yes. Yeah, good. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. All right. Well, then, uh, thank you. We just like to kind of open things up with some, some, uh, a little bit of silliness. Uh, but we might want to come back to this whole unicycle thing. I think that that was really interesting, actually. Uh, yes. why, why, why were you so excited when you heard unicycles? It- um, it's probably my gymnastics background. Okay. Um, so uh, having been a gymnast as a child, and and my children both having done uh, artistic gymnastics, um. I, I'm quite um, quite an adventure seeker. Um, <laughs> coupled with being a gymnast, it's, it's the thrill, I guess, of uh, uh, and the excitement of sitting on a unicycle and uh, trying to not fall off. <laughs> well, well, let us just uh, inform you. We had uh, another uh, interviewee on the podcast, Todd Forsenka, and, and he tried a unicycle, but he tried it uh, for the first time on a hill. And, uh, Believing he, that it was the same model as a bicycle, and you could just coast down if you want. And so uh, he said he informed us that that was not the appropriate way to learn how to ride <laughs> yeah. a unicycle. <laughs> just a word of advice: start on a flat surface. That that's our recommendation. Um, yes, absolutely. 
So, Silky, can you tell us, Queer, Queer Voice is not a household name, um, at least not in the U.S., but you, you work with a lot of companies uh, and you, you do a lot of different things. So can you tell us a little bit about the company and how, how does Queer Voice use behavioral science? Um, we uh, essentially work with um, a lot of uh, the internal workforces in organizations uh, looking at some um, uh, improving performance and productivity and um, putting uh, um, projects in place where we essentially drive behavior change in one way, shape or form. Um, and um, uh, that means um, we, uh, we look at um, all of the connections and uh, influences that uh, exist within companies and um, who the communicators are and uh, essentially drive change from within uh, an organization. And um, of course, uh, a lot of the um, change that you're looking for in, in people um, is, is, is essentially um, talking to them, trying to get them uh, on, on the same wavelength as the, to, to the direction that you want to go in. And uh, therefore, um, it, it's pulling on, on sort of a framing bias and um, unconscious bias to, to um, make that happen in the communications that we then use to support that behavior change. You also mentioned uh, something kind of interesting. You talked about the communicators, the people who are doing the communication. Uh, tell us a little bit more about, about that aspect of your work. Uh, yes, they are essentially those people in an organization that, um, uh, that you uh, just chat to, essentially. Um, they know everybody. They, uh, they chat to anybody and everybody in an organization. And they're sort of the, the link almost between your leaders in an organization and the, 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 the sort of, in inverted commas, slightly quieter influencers okay. who have, um, if you like, the, the technical uh, knowledge or that professional background. So um, uh, they are almost the, the linchpin between um making uh communicating that um that business strategy um that um uh, you're driving by the influencers who people go to for support and some um, information uh when they're trying to to implement a project um and uh they then uh, essentially communicate the day-to-day behaviors and, and surface your your success stories if you like that then bring others um, along uh, to, to join you on that path of, of behavior change. So how do you identify those connections and those influencers and those communicators? Is there a process that you go through in order to identify who they are and how those connections link up with each other? Yes, uh, there most definitely is. And um, it's, um, we, we essentially uh, go down a route of what's called snowball sampling. So we, uh, via our survey, uh, find out who uh, the people are, who the names are that crop up. So say if you've got an audience of um, a thousand employees uh, where you want to, to drive your behavior change, we identify uh, from those 1,000 employees, we ask them to name those people uh, who they chat to 
um, on, on a regular basis where they find out about what's really going on in the organisation. They know sort of all the gossip, if you like. And yeah. um, we also find out um, from, from, those, uh, from our 1,000 employees um, where, um, who, who influences what they do. And we, of course, don't ask them who influences you, but uh, who do you go to for knowledge and advice? And who do you go to in the organisation uh, for, um, for support uh, to make a, a project happen. And um, uh, we also ask them, of course, who, um, to, to, well, we ask them to give us some uh, names of, of the individuals and um, um, through statistical analysis, um, uh, there are, in, in every organisation, there are 3% uh, of people who who influence what happens uh, in, in an organisation, and uh, they they have an influence over eighty five percent of the organisational uh, uh, decisions that are being made. So uh, it's a very very small number of people that you're trying to to identify, and then you work with those to to drive your your behaviour change. Wow, that's a that's a fantastic. Uh, <laughs> that is a really cool <laughs> insight. That is, that is really really cool. So those that three percent holds an unduly amount of influence over that that other eighty five percent. It's not even that twenty eighty rule. It's a it's a three to eighty five rule. Yeah. Uh, so help us understand then what do you do if you, as you work with them in, in driving behavior change? What are some of the ways that you? I mean, how do you look? How do you bring a behavioral science perspective in on it, or are you doing more of a of a working one-on-one -on -one with those individuals, what's the what's? And I'm sure it probably depends, but you know, is yeah, there a general situation? Is there a general process yes. that you typically work? Yeah, with? Um, yes, there is, and um, uh, the the majority of the behavioral science comes in when when we put our communications together. Okay. Um, before we get to that stage, uh, we essentially um, uh, with the the leaders of of the organisation who uh, essentially articulate what that behavior change looks like. So if it is a digital transformation, for example, uh, we will work with those leaders to um, uh, see what's the, uh, what the strategic narrative is essentially. So we then write up that strategic narrative in a way that um, it is understood by, or it can be understood by, by all of our influencers and our, our communications champions. Okay. Um, the organization we then hold a series of um, um, of sort of training and communication sessions with them just to see uh, where they need support with from from us and um, uh, usually in, in a workshop settings you will get some influencers who want to remain anonymous and that is absolutely fine that's what you have to respect because some um, not everybody is comfortable with um, uh, being visible to to the rest of the organization as being that influencer that right. go-to person um, even though they are that person um, so you respect um, their their wish to either remain anonymous or in some instances your influencers are also your communications champions mm. so uh, that's that they are of course like gold dust because they will do the full job for you um, <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, th- but that's what they do. I mean, that is that is that's native to who they are, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. And and there there is no right or wrong, or uh, we are not making any judgments on those that are or aren't influencers or communications champions. It is just you have to accept that that's the matrix of your organization of of how how things work within that particular organization. So, and, and once you've identified that and, and you can work with those people, uh, we then um, have um, a, a, a host of, of copywriters, basically, depending on, on which area we are, the, the behavior change is happening in. And um, uh, led by myself, um, although I'm not a writer, I'm, I'm very much a strategist. Um, I know exactly what, um, uh, what needs to be done and then work with the copywriters um, to, to look at how can we best communicate this to our audiences. And that's where the, the behavioral science then comes in, in terms of um, how do we present this um, as, as part of our success stories, for example. Um, who are who are the people that um, are uh, displaying the, <clears throat> the the behaviors and the values that we are looking for uh, to to drive that to drive that change? And uh, we then uh, essentially uh, produce these success stories. And in some instances, um, uh, and if they're happy to, uh, we, we include box pops in that. So we will actually interview them and, and record them and, and use it to, to showcase behaviors that we are looking for. Um, and uh, we then write uh, the, 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 the copy uh, according to what the, the change is that, that we're looking for um, and, and position it in a way that it means something for uh, the person who, <clears throat> who might be sat in finance um, uh, doing some, some bookkeeping. So they might be working on some accounting software, uh, producing some invoices. What does it mean for me? What is my role in this? And um, um, what what do I have to do? Somebody tell me um, what you're looking for me to to do. It, it's bringing it to life essentially um, to to show them how they could be doing their job and what effect that has on the customer journey. So, Silky, I got a couple follow up questions on that. So, one, you're driving behavior change at that employee level through a, a communication campaign or process is that I mean that's what it sounds like you're you're really making that behavior change uh, engagement one that is around how people are communicating and what they're saying and very different things is that did I capture that exactly yes that is and, exactly and then right. so help me understand you, you obviously have the copywriters and you say you're the strategist around this um, and you're using some of these behavioral science principles. So, so obviously you talked about framing earlier and different things, but what are some of the behavioral science principles that you're bringing to bear on the communication piece of this? And how do you apply those? Okay. Um, uh, for example, one of the, the projects that uh, we are uh, well, hopefully just about to, to work on, uh, yeah. just waiting to hear from, from my clients today, uh, is um, actually um, 
driving people or getting people to um, commit to saving as part of, uh, as in liquid savings um, for for any emergencies. Um, You're probably aware that uh, the percentage of people who don't have any savings beyond £100 in their pocket um, is, is actually quite high. And um, there's, uh, I think, near enough 30% of people who do not have a small amount of savings to to cover for, for example, a um, washing machine breaking down. And um, we are talking at low to middle income earners. So for them, it is actually a challenge to... uh, um, find the the money to to put into a savings account. Um, so for that, uh, we are uh, looking at um, not only surfacing those stories where we are, we're saying um, Mr. Smith has some um, uh, just um, um, managed to um, replace his washing machine, which broke down, uh, to to save his children from going from going to school in in dirty clothes, uh, because he actually went to the trouble of um, uh, uh, opening a, a savings account, um, and th- those savings accounts, are, by the way, are, are driven by our employers. So you would pay straight from your uh, payroll. Uh, into a savings account rather than uh, um, doing it privately. So everything is set up for you. And um, uh, that is where we we are um, uh, applying um, framing bias, for example, as, as you no doubt know, um, if you actually present a risk and a negative um, um, frame to someone uh, that that says you, you'll hit a disaster. You, do you want your children to go to school uh, in, in dirty clothes, or are you going to go to the trouble of uh, of saving that little bit of money? Um, uh, the, the negative framing bias, obviously, and, and that risk um, produces. The, the desired results rather than presenting it as a, as a positive and, and uh, no risk. Um, so that's where we are working with behavioural scientists to uh, make sure that uh, when we write uh, copy uh, that, um, uh, that it actually fits with um, uh, that desired behaviour change that we're trying to, to elicit. So, so for our listeners in the U.S., uh, they're going to be familiar with uh, the 401k model, where a where a, a company uh, says, you know, you can help save for your retirement, and uh, and we'll we'll take some of your income out of your your check that is yours, and then and then typically the company matches some of that. But but this is a a, a rainy day fund, an emergency fund that that you're talking about, a, a liquid asset. And, exactly, um, and uh, the, the, uh, are the companies uh, in the UK contributing to those? Uh, not yet. This yeah. is uh, a project that uh, um, should hopefully go ahead. Um, something that is being piloted at the moment. Um, so it's um, uh, we are at the really early stages, and um, hence why we are looking to. Uh, to apply uh, behavioral science to see how we can actually um, 
drive the 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 individuals the employees to to sign up basically and and, and commit to to paying into a savings account in a, in a completely voluntary environment where there is no short-term gain and so you're uh, we're working against that temporal construal that idea that we we can easily visualize our short-term pain of giving up more of our paycheck, especially for a lower middle income earner, uh, for, a, for a potential benefit that's very vague in the future. Correct. That's, um, that's a tremendous challenge. That's exciting. I, 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 well, I, hope, I hope you get that assignment and uh, we, wanna, we wanna come back uh, in, uh, in six months and uh, talk to you about that again. <laughs> I, can, I can promise you right now that the listeners are gonna wanna hear about, about how that goes, but that sounds really exciting. We'll need an update. Yes, as a, as a, absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so let's, let's continue down this path of, uh, of the, the behavioral sciences that you're applying. So can you tell us a little bit about your influences? What work, uh, academic or uh, in, in the public spec, uh, you know, environment, what, what has influenced you and, uh, and the agency to, uh, to do the work that you're doing uh, in, in the application of behavioral sciences? Um, it, it's um, essentially um, as as you get older, um, you you start to think about uh, the whole psychology behind behaviours a lot more. And um, obviously, my my first sort of uh, uh, involvement in behavioural science was all around performance improvement, particularly in the automotive industry and, and with sales forces, uh, essentially to to drive uh, to drive sales and um, shift that middle ground and. Um, uh, with me then having moved into a sort of more the employee engagement and internal communication sphere, um, I, I found the, the whole psychology behind it quite fascinating, um, which is why I've, I've continued to, uh, to, to actually look at um, people are people essentially, um, uh, no matter which yeah. industry sector you work in. Uh, and everybody's got different drivers to to actually be engaged in in an organization and um I just found the whole concept of uh, what makes us do what we do and uh, at the, the fact that we think we are rational beings when actually we're not so your your typical uh, reward and recognition elements where you you actually uh, um, think you want uh, uh, a £20 voucher to, to, to buy whatever you want to buy, um, as opposed to having saving your, uh, your, your recognition and rewards that you might get as part of your job to, to, uh, to then trade that in for, say, a bicycle, coming back to the bicycle. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, of course. <laughs> to my unicycle. There um, you go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I find that quite fascinating where we we think actually sort of logical mind tells you I want that voucher because I know what I'm going to get for that. Um, with that, um, the fact that you're actually out doing um, particularly low and middle income earners or low, lower income earners, that you're actually out doing them of money because you end up not spending £20, but you end up spending £25. You've actually spent £5 more than... Uh, 
you, you were meant to, um, and um, so you're, you're five pounds short. Whereas if you you save for say that unicycle, I know it won't cost you twenty pounds, but um, um, say you save for that unicycle every time you, you actually use it, you have that emotional engagement to to your employer um, who who has enabled you to to actually have that. Um, so that is a completely different level of engagement that you have with an organization to, to actually getting a voucher or, or getting cash for that matter. You, you point to a really great uh, application and, and an important thing that both Kurt and I have been involved with. And that is if you give someone that 20, 20 pound voucher, they will overspend it. And uh, Rebecca White, when she was a uh, when she was in her Ph.D. program at the University of Chicago, um, did a paper on that that I, th- I thought was just fascinating, where she gave people cash and she gave people vouchers. And um, uh, amazingly enough, when people were given cash, they would just spend the amount given. But when they were given the, the voucher, they perceived it as a discount and ended up spending out of their own pocket, which is particularly hazardous for low and middle income, low and middle yes. earners. Uh, yeah. it, it's a it's a it's a horrible thing, actually. And, you know, but Tim, this also it. This is a reoccurring theme that we are hearing in a number of these podcasts is this uh, people really don't understand what motivates them and what will drive long term uh, motivation, both from the academics that we've been interviewing, as well as the practitioners like Silky in that, you know, that say do gap, right? They will tell you one thing, but we know by the research and by experience that their behaviors don't always align with that. Um, And it's a fascinating piece. And it's it's one of those pieces that I think make behavioral science so interesting, at least to me, is if it was, if it was do this, get that, and you could just plug and play employees or people and they're more like robots, then there's not much to talk about. But what's fun to talk about are these things where you assume one thing and it's actually a whole different way. Yeah. So you started with this this native curiosity, Silky. You started with this uh, coming of age and noticing that the, the why we do what we do was an interesting question. Where did you turn to for information? Did you go to? Were you interested in books? Did you read academic papers? I'm wondering if there's any authors or or uh, or pieces of work that you might share with the listeners uh, that were particularly influential to you. Uh, I. Uh, I read the uh, um, Dan Ariely book, um, which was all around some, oh, crikey, I can't remember the name of it. Was it Predictably Irrational? That's the one, yes, exactly. Um, Predictably Irrational, um, uh, again, I found that um, quite quite fascinating and and, um, taking, uh, I quite often uh, use the, the, the coffee card concept in, in conversations that I have with prospects and clients um, uh, and explain to them that um, uh, the, the way you actually present something is, is absolutely key to, uh, again, achieving that behavior change, no matter what the behavior change might be. Yeah, yeah. For, for those listeners who are not familiar with that, could you, uh, could you share that story? It, 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 is, a, it is a really great, great little uh, piece. Yes, it is. Yeah, essentially, uh, everybody goes and gets their coffee at uh, Costa or Starbucks or wherever they get their coffee and get one of the loyalty cards. And um, uh, the uh, usually you have to collect 10 stamps to get a free cup of coffee. Uh, now, in the test that uh, they did, uh, the uh, 
there was uh, one uh, group received a, uh, a card with where they had to collect ten stamps, and um, uh, and that was it. The the other group had a card where they had to collect the same. 10 stamps but uh there were two there were two extra ones on there so there were 12 stamps on there and two were already stamped um so they had a head start essentially in in their mind but they had to collect the same or drink the same 10 cups of coffee to get their free cup of coffee and um uh i'm pretty sure that the percentage of um uh, the the time it took the group that had already two uh, coffees pre-stamped, uh, they they got to the goal of collecting their ten stamps. Uh, uh, they they the, the speed of time was they they got to thirty thirty or thirty seven percent faster uh, than the group that had no pre-stamped um. um um, coffees on on their cards, so quite quite fascinating. Same same number of uh, stamps you have to collect, but because your mind tells you, oh, I've only got to collect ten, and I've already been given two free ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, the time it takes them to to get those is that much quicker. It's it's quite quite incredible, really. Yeah, yeah, it was the, uh, the, the study by Ron Kivitz. Ron and, Kivitz did that when he was at Stanford. Yeah, and the yeah. illusionary yeah. goal, uh, goal gradient, you know, so the, it was yeah, that the, progress the, to goal. Progress to goal was actually, exactly. although yeah. 10 didn't matter, both had to, had to drink 10 cups of coffee or buy 10 more cups of coffee. But the, the fact of the matter is that they were already on their way towards that goal and and it looked like they had progressed, uh, made a difference in their actual behavior, which is yes. fascinating. Yeah. It is that our mind is uh, that the way we perceive it, uh, getting back to uh, a lot of the work that you're doing, the way that we frame it uh, has a huge influence on how we act on it. And uh, yeah. that absolutely is uh, fascinating. So Silky, one of the one of the things that I'm interested in, and, and just to get your opinion on this, is we find a lot of of behavioral science being applied inside, not inside organizations, the, that are that's being applied by organizations, it tends to be focused in on the consumer or externally, uh, that they're using these types of things, the, the uh, framing bias and various different things in their communications or advertisements to the consumers or the purchasers of their products. But there, we find that there's less of that being applied internally um, I was wondering if you see the same thing in the UK, or is that more of an American phenomena? Uh, where do you see the UK being on that uh, kind of continuum of of where behavioral science is being applied? Yeah, I think um, as far as some um, consumers are concerned, it, it is more visible, but um, uh, certainly the organisations that um, I've worked with and, and uh, that other organisations work with, the reward and recognition or employee engagement, um, you, you certainly see a lot of it, or, or I certainly see a lot of it, I guess because I'm the one talking about it, yeah. um, uh, yes. <laughs> applied with, um, with employees and, and, and internal workforces. Um, I mean, I, I'll refer back to sort of the automotive industry. Um, uh, people are used to seeing it uh, because we're all obviously all consumers, um, but um, we're, we're also seeing it as, as part of recognition and reward schemes that um, we, we might put in place, again, to, to drive that behaviour change and improve performance 
um, we we look at um, uh, illusionary goals, um, uh, the, using the coffee cart concept um, as part of um, uh, some sort of fun, more fun elements in, in gamification. Um, okay. In the wheel, using using a bit of fun to to actually achieve the same thing. Um, and um, that's really where where I've had a lot of fun um, conversations and, and worked on on exciting projects to um, to to again drive that behaviour change. But but you're seeing uh, the companies uh, using more in the field of working with their own employees. Is that is that a growing uh, area for you? I I think so. Yes, definitely. Um, because some. Um, um, mainly because of the, the digital transformation that, that is going on and um, seeing that um, a lot of companies are, are obviously using their customer satisfaction uh, surveys to, to identify where the challenges are um, uh, and then want to put that right. Um, uh, we have actually looked at overlaying employee engagement surveys with that to see whether there is a challenge, say in in say delivery of of a product, uh, for example, uh, where the customer has fed back that uh, they are not happy with the service they are receiving, and um, then looking at some employee engagement stats to see whether there is an issue from an engagement perspective, and um, again the that sort of information also comes back when you're then looking for influencers um, where you might find a gap or a, a, a lower performance in that particular area in, um, uh, where there aren't as many influencers in that area, maybe because of the manager, maybe because of the makeup of, of that department. Um, um, uh, there, there are obviously various reasons to it. Um, but um, we, we definitely see that um, uh, from, from a digital transformation perspective and, and that digital customer journey that, um, uh, that more and more clients are looking at, um, that there is sort of an, an opportunity to, to actually apply the behavioral science to, to drive that employee change. Yeah, so you're seeing, uh, you, you see a high correlation then between customer satisfaction and employee satisfaction. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Uh, even, even in a digital uh, experience. Yes, yeah, most definitely. Um, cool. uh, yeah, you, you, quite often you, you get you get different projects, but um, as part of um, uh, the project that we're we're currently working on with the clients, um, uh, we we actually overlay uh, the the employee engagement stats and um, uh, bring the the customer journey to life for the employees to see what difference their their input is making uh, and what effect they're having on that customer journey. Again, it's that. Um, what what I talked about earlier is like what does it mean to me in my day to day life? What do I have to do? I didn't realise that um, uh, me not sending that email off to a supplier uh, had such a big knock on effect on yeah. on the on the customer satisfaction basically in them deliver in them receiving their their product late. Yeah, it, it it's interesting how you how you're talking again it, from the very beginning when we were talking about that communication being the, the the tool to help drive that behavior change and what you're actually 
telling us here is that communication is, is a tool, but it's based upon all this knowledge that you're getting from all these other insights, whether that be that the overlay of the customer satisfaction with the employee engagement and where those gaps are and what that means. But then you're tailoring that communication in order to address those, those differences or the gaps that you're seeing. So that's it is really, really interesting stuff. Um, yeah. So Silky, Emma, as, as you're thinking about this, we're talking about work and business. Are there any, any of the uh, behavioral science components that you uh, use in your own life or that you think could share with some of the listeners to say, hey, here's an application for not necessarily work, but just your regular life on how, how you apply uh, this to make life better or more fun or anything? Um, uh, I guess um, um, uh, I know you, you have children too, um, yep. so it's um, uh, it's uh, on a daily basis. I guess uh, we we try and uh, influence what uh, how our children behave. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it is the test of all behavioral scientists. Yeah, they apply this to their own children. Yeah. How does that actually work? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Biggest task. I think the the hardest job actually in in your whole life is yeah. bringing up children and and making sure that um mentally they're strong enough to to cope with whatever is being thrown at them. Yeah. And um um I I guess um in a way it's sort of little things like um family rules um. Introducing some some fun elements and and that um well when my children were they're, they're thirteen and and nearly seventeen now but when they were little it was always that uh, uh, that stick and carrot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they very quickly work out that actually what happens if I don't do this what I'm just being asked to do yeah. well. <laughs> I yeah. might only miss out on that little bit of chocolate, but I'll just use my pocket money to buy that myself. There you yeah, go. There yes. you go. And, and the human brain is uh, once again seen as one of the most fascinating things on earth. Well, and I, I, I have a 11 year old who's turning 12 actually next week, but uh, he's gotten to the point where he goes, "Don't put, don't try the psychology on me, Dad. Oh! Don't try the psychology <laughs> on me." And I go, "Oh, am I that? Am I that transparent? Is this I, 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 so silky?" We have come to that point in the conversation that that all of our podcast interviewees dread the most, and that is to talk about music. Okay. Is, so we are interested in what your theme song would be. And uh, we, you know, we've teed this up in advance so that uh, no one will have uh, heart palpitations at this moment. But, but Kurt and I are big music lovers, and um, and uh, so what, what? You know, let let's you know just take a situation. You get uh, an award, and you're uh, you know you're you're walking across the stage. What's the theme music that goes along with Silky Britain? I would say I would go for Queen. We are the champions. Oh, <laughs> and and um, I'm not the, the 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 biggest Queen fan. Love the music, but I just think that sums it up really nicely. Um, uh, <laughs> That's terrific, actually. You can be a champion, and you can, uh, and I guess it, because being German, it's it's quite uh it's used quite a lot in germany to to give you that feel good factor and um i think it just still has that feel good factor 
yes. um, of, of making you feel feel special. It absolutely does. It yeah. does. Well, Silky, thank you. We appreciate this very, very much. And uh, it has been wonderful. It has been wonderful. Yes. And and we we would like to just put a placeholder out there at some point in the future to come back and talk to you more about some of the follow-ups on, uh, on this new work that you're doing. Yeah, of course. It would be a pleasure to, to talk to you about those. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, good fun and uh, uh, very entertaining to, to talk to you both. So, <laughs> very enjoyable. That's what we're striving for. So thank you very much. Thank Brilliant. you. Thank you. Welcome to our grooving session, where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our Behavioral Grooves interview, have a free-flowing discussion on some of those interesting topics, and we talk about whatever else comes into our huge brains. <laughs> I, okay, okay, huge brains this time. Huh? <laughs> Better than little heads. Right. Whatever. <laughs> so, Tim, what did you think, uh, what interested you from Silky's conversation? Well, I'm, I'm impressed with her, uh, I, 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 you know, for sake of full disclosure, I've known Silky for many years, and the work that she's doing at Clear Voice is really cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm really impressed with the, the focus that she has on informal communications uh, and how using people, how to get the word out in an organization to change culture in a very informal and organic way. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that influence mapping, right? The component, and, and I love loved the quote and I'm I've, I'm going to be using this with my clients about how you know some of the research they showed had three percent of the people in an organization how that three percent can influence 85 percent of people yeah yeah that's huge and you think about the dynamics of what that means for uh, an organization and for leaders within an organization we we tend to think about how do we how do we influence the masses, right? How do we get everybody to align with the corporate vision and mission and, and get them to change their behavior? And what this implies to a certain degree is, you know, that could be done a lot easier if we, we understood who is that small select group of people that everybody else is listening and following and being influenced by. Right. Um it's a Malcolm Gladwell tipping point kind yes. of a question, right? Is how to get uh, the right people who just want to be communicators, right? Um, they could be quiet and knowledgeable and maybe technical. Right. But who are the people who actually take pride in being the informal uh, com communicators within the organization? Well, and who are those people that other people look to for for direction yeah. and for uh, helping them understand what is going on. And those are the people uh, that have that connection, that that, that want to be those communicators and yet have that trust and that uh, influence within that organization that they can well, really make it, a difference. It isn't always your boss. It, 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 it isn't always the, the, the memo that comes from the corner office no. that gets us to go, okay, you know, most of... I, in my own experience, um, the lens that I use on those kind of communications are, well, this is what I have to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it comes from an influencer in the organization that's 
that's um, someone that I respect, yes. someone that I care about, um, a, a coworker maybe that I've, I've worked on a lot of projects with, and they say, well, you know, we should try something different. I'm much more willing to, to go from just being aware of that to actually accepting it and, and becoming an advocate. Yeah, and I think that those individuals inside the organization, you know, yes, sometimes they can be in leadership positions, but often they're, they're just that that line worker that everybody knows. They're the, the person who has, uh, has built up that reputation and that trust throughout the years and has worked with people. And so those yeah. are the tons that if uh, organizations and leaders can tap into, I think it, it lends itself to, to making a much bigger impact overall. Yeah, Silky called them gold dust. Gold I, dust. I thought yes. that was a great that was a absolutely a great a great term to to apply to people who who uh, may not be interested in having a visible uh, or uh, explicitly leadership type role in an organization, mm-hmm. but still have power over what the organization does and how it how it, it happens. Yeah, and I think it lends credence to the component of you know the organization isn't always top driven, right? It's right. not top down driven. That that these people uh, that have the influence across the organization come from all different ranks, and oftentimes they're the ones who, maybe not strategically or purposely, but they're the ones who kind of can lend themselves to leading the culture and leading where the organization's going. So you and I have spent a lot of time. Uh, in our careers focused on extrinsic uh, rewards specifically, yes. but but the motivational elements that come from extrinsic uh, stimuli. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet both of us have, would easily acknowledge that intrinsic is is extremely important. Yeah, it's extremely powerful. Uh, and and I like what Silky's doing here and in, in sort of focusing on these these informal and unconscious, uh, elements of communication as a way of, um, of of influencing our motivations, and and I love how she's using and Queer Voice is using communications. Yeah, that that it is the communications that are being developed that are driving some of that change, right? And in, using in an organic com- way. In an right. organic way, it's yeah. it's using communication to drive behavior change, which is I am. Uh, it, it, it's near and dear to my heart. It's part of what we do at the Lantern Group in in how we approach, you yeah. know, our, our work. Uh, and I truly believe that if we can improve how organizations communicate with their internal stakeholders uh, and and their external stakeholders, that that can have a significant impact on. And organizations' performance and and what they do. So l- l- let's just play down that rabbit hole for just a little bit, Kurt. You you have done a lot of work. Lantern Group has done a lot of work uh, focused on communication. Yes. What are what? Uh, can you give an example of one of the most successful uh, projects you've worked on where the communication did a good job of addressing sort of both the extrinsic reasons and the and the intrinsic reasons? Yeah. So a lot of our communications focus around. Uh, communicating out incentive components or total reward components to salespeople. That's a vast majority of the work that we have done. Uh, and and in a couple of those instances, uh, actually in more than a couple of those instances, what you, what you see is a pre and a post, right? So before we're coming in, what, what uh, we often find is that 
the people who are developing out the, the sales incentive plans and the total rewards are super intelligent, right? Right as can, and, as can be, but they have a very analytical, very statistical mind. Uh, and so when which it, is which is needed for, which is for definitely the, needed for, you need to run role. the numbers you need to understand yeah. how they all work together and you need to make sure that you're not uh, you know that the plan is fair and you've run all the the, the testing and done all the statistical modeling to, to make sure that, that they work where that falls flat often is then in how they communicate because again we tend to see the world through our own eyes and so when they send out a communication that is a 25 page powerpoint not even powerpoint word document that is you know full of tables and uh, numbers and and doing all that and you know that when we've we've done the research that uh, you know, the salespeople who get it, their eyes just kind of gloss over and, and they don't read it. They don't comprehend it. They don't get it. So that, that complexity is leading to a low level of compliance. That complexity is, is leading to a low level of compliance. It's leading to a low level of understanding and a low level of actual behavior change. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it leads to the wrong behavior change because they don't understand it. They might misunderstand it which can actually be worse than having them realize that they don't understand it at all. How, how could communication lead to misunderstanding? There you go, right? <laughs> Isn't that the natural tendency yes, for communication? Yes, but it is. So our work is, is taking, some t- uh, taking that uh, data and making it so that it, is, it becomes engaging for uh, the participants. And you uh, have the post data too. And we have the post data. To, In one, uh, one organization, just from an understanding perspective, we worked with, they had a 44% understanding. People said they understood their plan 44%. Um, a, a year later after we had worked with them, it was over 80%. And so we can yeah. see that we can see that that difference. And you can see it uh, not only in, in those type of numbers, but also in how the questions anecdotally that they're asking, they're asking much more nuanced questions about the plan. Um, they're getting into uh, questions about how they can they can maximize their earnings around incentive plans and different things. And you can apply that to a number of different things too. We did some communications uh, in helping a, a group of, of uh, call center people move from being kind of call center into being like customer service customer service and so part of their role was they had a uh, it was a pharmaceutical and they had a drug uh, that was a daily injection that people had to do for two years uh, which obviously you can think about the the ramifications for what that means uh, for the yeah. adherence right adherence dropped off significantly after the the, the prescription was done in that first month uh, and what the, they had been in the past is these were people who, if a patient signed up, they would get a call every month saying, how are you doing? Any questions? How can I help you? Giving them information. Um, and, and, what would do, and do you remember what the compliance rate was like ad, or ad, adherence to the regimen? I, I think Low? the adherence rate was in the 20 to 30 percent range. Yeah. So Low. again, so more than half of the people um, were, were, were not compliant uh, following through. What we did is we, we, we redid their training, but most of that was through the communications, right? The guidebook that they used and various different things in getting them to become much more of uh, 
patient and adherence advocates. Yeah. And so we taught them through communications, but also it wasn't just in the in the education part. It was in helping them see their role differently um, and, uh, and more how, values you framed, based. how you framed their mm. interactions. And so that was some of the communication. And again, one of, I'm sorry, I'm going off, but one of my favorites is, is on fleet safety, you know, that we oh, talked with yeah, James Brewer is, about, right? And we did terrific. some of yeah. the, the fleet safety. And again, the communication of taking a fleet safety book and making it more infographic and, and making it stand out so people looked at it and they go oh this is the impact that a collision has and these are some of those things and 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 again making that more vivid and more memorable for them so so i i applaud silky and her team on what they're doing it's 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 really great work yeah yeah really really pleased with it so should we talk a little bit about music music I want to. I I have to mention one of my uh, favorite, uh, not so big uh, British bands is a group called Tankus the Henge. Tankus the Henge. Yep. Where, where do you pull these out from? Well, I met Jazz Delorean, who okay. is the the leader uh, in a in a in the Twelve Bar uh, in London uh, a bunch of years ago before before it closed, and. Uh, he was just a character. He's like okay. a, he's like a carny, and uh, runs the runs the shows uh, like a carnival, where you know he they routinely set their piano on fire and uh, take us the. Tankus the Henge. Henge, not hen, Henge. Henge, uh, H-E-N-G-E. Okay. Yeah, um, and uh, Jazz just, he's just such a, a charismatic guy that I was completely sucked in. And the music is a complex and interesting mix of of uh, jazz and uh, show tunes and punk and uh, and it's but it's all very fun it's very very light and, and happy and sugary and so um, if, especially to listeners in the UK uh, and, and I know we have many I really want to encourage you to check out uh, they often do the the festival circuit and uh, so if you're listening in the summer, check out Tankus the Henge at one of the festivals because they're just wonderful. Oh, interesting. So <laughs> yeah. your, your description of them, although uh, not anywhere nearly the, the same thing, the uh, Summerfest in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, right? Oh, I yeah. Used to, I used to go there all the time. Great we had festival. A, we had a cottage at Big Cedar Lake, which is just north of there. And so every summer we'd go and it was this, this routine and... and uh, for a number of years, there was this band uh, that that was played there, and they didn't have a stage to begin with. They were just in the middle of the. They allowed them inside the festival, but uh, I guess the first year they were actually playing outside. But they had an accordion. They had a guy with a stand-up drum. They had a stand-up bass. They had a guy with a trombone. Oh, they were yeah. barefoot kind of walking around and the, the, the lead singer and they would just do all these songs. And it was kind of that, as you said, carnival atmosphere, right? And they yeah. would be, and people would form this big circle around them. Johnny on Wash Day, that was their name. Johnny uh, on Wash Day. Johnny on Wash Day. I have no idea if they have any albums out or anything, but I do remember, I just remember that uh, uh, one person yelled out, um, uh, play Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, again, one of my favorite bands, as we've talked about. And so they just started 
playing it and the guy started singing it and it was this weird thing of going around and they're they're moving into the crowd and out of the crowd and they got about I don't know, a third of the way through, and then they just fell apart. And they go, you know, we've never actually played that, practiced oh, it, or anything. Ju- they I just love that. picked it up I love at the spot, and they Th- did it. See, so. that's one of my favorite things uh, as as a performer, yeah. is to engage in those very whimsical, uh, making a, a micro-expression evaluation of the band. Yeah. That when a song comes up like that, and you look at the band, and they're like, "Okay, let's give it a try." Yeah. And they and you just embark. You just push off from the shore, and you start rowing. You know, and under the bridge on a trombone. It was how just, about that? I I, I remember. It's that. memorable. <laughs> there yeah, you go. Yeah. So. That's that's terrific. So, listeners, please make sure that you are checking us out. Uh, uh, you get all of the the downloads uh, from whatever your favorite pod catcher is, and um, and ask a friend to listen or two. Or two. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.